Thank you for tuning into The World Game, a World Cup podcast. The podcast that will have everything you need to know about the World Cup. There will be recap episodes throughout the tournament, so you won't miss a storyline. Maybe there was a 90th minute game winning goal. Maybe there was some controversy. Either way, we'll dive right into it. My name is Peter Roman. I've loved football all my life, and thanks for joining me on this journey. Before we get going on today's episode, I'd like to once again talk about the awful migrant worker situation in Qatar, where thousands of people unfortunately lost their lives in you know, building the infrastructure needed for the World Cup. It was a horrible, horrible human rights abuse that unfortunately FIFA didn't care about. And so my heart and my thoughts are with the victims and their families. And I hope something like this never, ever happens again. Now on to the episode. All right, today's episode, the round of 16 has come to a close. So I'm going to be recapping the entirety of the round of 16, all eight games in this episode. If you want to jump around, the time codes will be in the description. However, if you want to listen to the whole thing, I'd really appreciate it. So I'm going to break down all of the games from the round of 16 and then be on the lookout because either tomorrow or Thursday, I will have my quarterfinal preview because we're down to the final eight teams at the World Cup. And I'm so excited for so excited for the drama just because we have a lot of really good matchups in the next round. And we had so many good games this past round as well. So we're going to start with the Saturday games and then go to the Sunday, Monday, and then Tuesday games. So let's start with Netherlands, USA. The Netherlands won this game 3-1 to one the final score, and they advanced to the quarterfinals. And unfortunately, the end of the road for the United States. So in this game... We had quite a few things happen. So first, the Americans actually got the best chance of the game early. Two minutes in, Christian Pulisic, great opportunity to put his country in the lead. Unfortunately for him, he was denied. And for the Americans, that was a moment that could have changed the whole game. Because if you get that early goal, you're on the front foot. And then, you know, you can you make the other team kind of come to you a little bit more, right? So then the pressure's kind of off a little bit. And... You don't have to be quite as precise the rest of the game, but, you know, they couldn't get that early goal. Pulisic, unfortunately, didn't score it. And then eight minutes later, it was Memphis Depay finishing off a cross from Dumfries to put the Dutch up 1-0. Then, just before halftime, it was Blind who scored off another Dumfries cross. Dumfries, by the way, easily the man of the match of this game. His play from fullback, he just... He looks so good in contributing to the attack in creating crossing opportunities in actually crossing great balls in himself like he just he was dynamic on the wings he was a threat the whole game and it just always felt like anytime he got the ball it was going to go to a dangerous area and then of course you know he ended up scoring the third goal in this game as well the U.S. did score the next goal in this game to make it 2-1. to one. Wright ended up scoring a really good flick on, basically, off a Dutch turnover. And then, you know, the third goal went in for Dumfries. No one marked him, essentially, on a cross, and he buried it. A goal and two assists for him. Brilliant performance at fullback. Like, just A-plus. A-plus performance for Dumfries. 
and the Dutch win 3-1 to the final score. They advance to the quarterfinals. In this game, the United States really struggled. Just, you know, they couldn't get that early goal, and they gave up. They had bad defending at bad moments. They gave up bad goals when they shouldn't have given them up, right? You give up a goal 10 minutes into the game, not great. You give up a goal just before halftime, not great. These are things that lose you games, especially when you're defending wasn't anywhere near as crisp as what it was in the group stages, which I think has to feel awful for the Americans. For the Dutch, they continue to be really clinical in this tournament. They don't get a lot of shots, but they certainly score a lot of goals. And so they scored another three in this game. And to me, you know, this is what the Dutch have done the whole tournament. And the Netherlands, you know, they got their four. They kind of have their formula that they use to win these games. And it's worked for them so far. And they got to, you know, be given a lot of credit for that. This was the first game of the tournament that Cody Gakpo didn't score for them. But, of course, I would expect him to make an appearance for sure in the quarterfinals. For the United States, though, now there's a lot of questions to be asked, especially because there are a lot of there are a lot of USA fans that believe they never actually played their best starting eleven. And when it comes to an attacking perspective, I think they have a good case to be made. Now, defensively, this team was really good throughout the tournament, but you know they had a bad game, and that happens sometimes. They picked a bad time to have a bad game, but it does happen. But offensively, Gio Reyna barely got any playing time. And the United States, despite never using a false nine in the lead up or during the group stages, decided to use one to try and get back in this game. And I mean, like, that's fine if you want to do that. But it was kind of Greg Berhalter's insistence on using a striker that felt kind of weird the whole time, where his striker position was clearly a weakness. And so instead of trying to fit in more of his good players and play a system that better suited his guys he just insisted the square peg and round hole thing where like okay I have a striker I'm going to insist on playing a striker even though none of them are very good and so let's hope one of them will eventually play good and none of them did so for the United States obviously I think slightly disappointing I think overall probably they're okay with how the tournament went as far as getting out of the group stages they lost to a pretty good Netherlands team but again, slight disappointment because I think for a lot of Americans, they feel that their best 11 was never actually played in this tournament. And that has to sting because it's like, well, if we had a coach that played our best players, especially offensively minded anyways, you know, maybe things are different. Maybe things aren't different, but you never know. And that's a big what if for the United States coming out of this tournament. So now their attention turns to 26. They obviously have one of the youngest teams in this tournament so I think there's a lot of positives to take that a lot of the young players really stepped up and those guys will be in their primes for the next World Cup so a lot of positives there the negatives though of course continue to be that you know what is the I think the biggest question for the United States is just what is the ceiling on this team is this a team that when their players come into their prime are they actually going to be a team that can make the semifinals or are they going to continue to be a team that get out of the group but then lose because Mexico was stuck in this spot for many 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 decades and they kind of continue to be stuck in like a similar spot right now they're kind of in a down point with their generation but but for the United States it's just a question of what is the ceiling for this team how high can they actually go how good can their players actually be 
And we won't know that until, you know, we get some answers four years from now. But we'll have to wait and see. But congratulations to the Netherlands. They are through to the quarterfinals. And, you know, they're going to have to face a really tough test coming up. I think the Dutch, you could argue, have had one of the easier paths so far. Senegal, certainly not an easy team. Ecuador, not an easy team. The United States, not an easy team. But none of them you would consider superpowers. They're about to get one. Because in the next game I'm going to talk about, it's Argentina-Australia. So Argentina won this game 2-1 to advance to the quarterfinals. This game really shouldn't have been as close as it was. See, Argentina was up 2-1, and they had, like, at least three, like, ridiculously good chances to make it 3-1 and seal the deal, done and dusted, no worries. And they never did, and then Australia almost got one on them, so... Maybe a little nervy for them, but, like, if you look at the actual performance, I think Argentina played relatively well. The problem was they sort of, again, run into this issue that they create a lot of chances that they don't finish. And if they don't finish their chances all the time, it leaves the door open, right? And for Australia, those last 15 minutes was the door being left open for them. It couldn't quite go through, though. So, how did this game go? Well... Lionel Messi finally scored a knockout goal. It took him five World Cups to do it, but congratulations to Messi. He scored a very nice opening goal for them. Great touch, great control, great finish. Low corner, you know, happy days for Argentina. They're up one nothing, And then they got a second goal from Alvarez. It was a horrible mistake from Matty Ryan, the Australian goalkeeper. And Alvarez made no mistake at all. And so Argentina led to nothing. But of course, like I said, they left that door open for Australia. And now granted, I will have to say this, the Australian goal was nothing but bad luck for Argentina. It really was because it was a shot that took a deflection. It ended up being counted as an own goal for Fernandez. So, you know, it was, if you watch the goal back, it was crazy unlucky for Argentina. But you know what? Luck is, luck plays a part in sports. Like this is a real thing. You need a little bit of luck sometimes. And Australia got that luck in that moment. And then, very late in the game, they had a couple chances. There was one tremendous solo run they had, and it's just, oh. Otamendi made a brilliant slide tackle to make a block there for to save Argentina. And then, at the very end of the game, their youngster, their 18-year-old, he had such a good opportunity. He couldn't finish, though. It was a great save. So, unfortunately for Australia, it's the end of the road. They are eliminated from the World Cup. I think Australia should feel really proud of this team. I think Australians, like, this team was not expected to do anything close to what they accomplished, but they played their hearts out. You saw they gave every single effort, every single minute of every single game, and this team, I think, really made their country proud. Making the round of 16, you lost a game to Argentina that, like, you know, if you got maybe another bounce or two, you never know. You might have been able to pull something out in extra time or penalty kicks. So Australia should feel really proud. This was a big, big tournament for them as far as, like, their team talent-wise probably isn't as good as what it has been in years past, but it didn't matter for the Australians. It really didn't matter. This was a big tournament for them. They played really well, and they deserve to be remembered as a team that played really well. For Argentina... They survived a little bit of a scare at the end, but they got through. And so now, despite the horrible start they had against Saudi Arabia, 
They're in the quarterfinals. This is where you wanted to be. And now the Netherlands are sitting there waiting for them in the quarters. So this matchup has a lot of history to it. I will dive into all of that history in my quarterfinal preview, but let's just say these two teams don't exactly like each other, historically speaking. And it should be a fun renewal of the little rivalry Netherlands and Argentina have. These two teams both, you know, you could argue haven't really played a team anywhere close to as good as each other yet. So, biggest test for Argentina and biggest test for the, Nether for the Netherlands coming up. Should be exciting. I can't wait. But congratulations to Argentina. Messi finally got that goal. He Messi played really well in this game. Got to give him credit. Now the key is, can he do this in the quarterfinal and a potential semifinal and a potential final? Because in 2014, he played really well in the group stage, and he played really well in the round of 16 game, despite not scoring against Switzerland. In the quarterfinal game, he didn't play well. In the semifinal game, he really didn't play well. And in the final, he missed the chance that could have put his team in the lead. So for Messi, I think this is a big chance to change some narratives about him. Because, you know, Messi's track record at the World Cup hasn't always been stellar. So, this is, you know, potentially his last World Cup. And this is a chance for him to change some of the narratives about him. And right now, he's doing a good job of that. But he has to keep it up, obviously. And of course, the team, you know, Argentina isn't going to win the World Cup just because of Messi. They need to play well as a team. But for Messi as an individual, he has, you know, a chance as an individual in his own individual performance he has a chance to change his narrative to be a little more positive at the world cup all right that was the saturday slate on to sunday's games starting with france and poland so this game you could argue was maybe the biggest mismatch going into the round of 16 mostly because poland played really poorly in their game against Argentina and you saw how good France were in their first two games when they played their starters and it's like oh this might get ugly and it sort of did so France won this game 3-1 the final score and before I dive into the game itself I need to talk about a player that player is Kylian Mbappe Kylian Mbappe had two goals and an assist in this game in leading the French to the quarterfinals which effectively breaks the champions curse for anyone who doesn't know, basically the last several winners of the World Cup have all gone out really early. Like Spain went out in the group stages after winning in 2010. Germany went out in the group stages after winning in 2014. And then we had Italy go out in the group stages after winning in 2006. So the champion's curse was a real thing. And France have now kind of broken it because making the quarterfinals has to be seen as not a failure. Now, if they lose in the quarterfinals, it'll be seen as a disappointment. But it won't be the same as the other teams that, you know, didn't get out of the group stages. So for France, you know, they've accomplished that at least. But for Kylian Mbappe, though, he is in really, really rare territory right now. See, Mbappe is leading the tournament right now in goals with five. And in my opinion, he's leading the race for the golden ball, which is the best player of the tournament. I think he's leading in both. To me, Mbappe has been just completely unstoppable in this tournament so far. He's been by far France's best player. France are missing like four or five starters, and it doesn't matter because they have, number one, a very good team with a lot of depth, and number two, they have Kylian Mbappe. 
who is such a difference maker for them. He is so scary when he has the ball. He's so fast. He's so technically gifted. And his shot is just, it's, it sneaks up on you. His shot is so good, it sneaks up on you because you're like, wow, I didn't realize he could do that. And he does this all the time. The, the biggest thing for Mbappe, though, is that I've been waiting for him for a couple years now to finally take that next step and become the best player in the world. I've been waiting for this. See, I think Mbappe's been really close to it for a while now, but I was kind of waiting for it. And last summer at the European Championships, I'm like, all right, you know, Mbappe didn't have the best season with PSG, at least like, you know, success speaking. He didn't win as many trophies as he should have, but that's okay. There's the Euros. This is his moment. This is where Mbappe is going to become the undisputed best player in the world because it felt like, you know, he should be for a while now he didn't do it at the euros he was underwhelming and that's the only way you can describe his performance and so we keep going with the season with psg and there's the turmoil about him kind of you know whining about his contract and then he signs the new contract and then he's fighting with messi and neymar over who gets to take free kicks and penalties and all these other things so there was kind of a lot of negative stuff around mbappe which I think is fair. I think it was fair criticism of him. But it also doesn't take away from the fact that he was still one of the best players in the world. But he's a guy that we were all waiting for. All right, Mbappe, when are you going to finally take that next step? Because the next step in his career is becoming the best player in the world, undisputedly. He's done it. I think it's safe to say, based on how the World Cup has gone, he has done it now. I was waiting for this, but Mbappe, you can't deny him. He's so good right now, and he's doing it on the biggest stage, the biggest pressure, the biggest moments for his country, and you can't deny Mbappe right now is the best player in the world. And if he, if he keeps playing like this, France are going to go really far. And so you got to tip your cap to him. He's been really good. And now we'll see if he can potentially – lead France to back-to-back -back titles. No country has done that since Brazil back in 58 and 62. So that would be a humongous deal for Mbappe's legacy. But I'm going to talk more about that in the quarterfinal preview. Now onto the game. So Olivier Giroud actually scored the opening goal in this game. Mbappe played him through, and Giroud scored to become the all-time leading scorer for the French uh, men's national team. He passed Thierry Henry's record. It's crazy to think that Giroud actually passed Thierry Henry for something like that, but you got to give credit to Giroud. Giroud has been there for a while, but this guy, he finds a way to score goals, except at the last World Cup, but he finds a way to score goals for the most part, and he's been a big part of this French team. He's always kind of been a good locker room guy, and, you know, happy for Giroud. Like, this is something that he should feel really proud of and he you know might not be the most appreciated french player of all time but he has you know certainly a record to prove his worth to the french national team so Giroud scores the opening goal and for poland you know they they were really outplayed like just france have a way better team mbappe scored the second and third goal in this game the second goal he ended up roofing it near post brilliant shot and then he cut inside, and a great shot. Top corner, far post. Not a lot you can do about it. Chesney did get a little bit on it, but, like, not enough. And so, 
Two goals for Mbappe, an assist for, an assist for Mbappe. And then Poland, very late in this game, got a penalty kick. And Lewandowski, after his second attempt, he ended up scoring. The first attempt was negated because Hugo Lloris ended up diving off his line too early. So Lewandowski with a consolation goal for Poland. For Poland, I think overall probably satisfactory tournament, I think, because they got out of the group and then they ran into a really good team and lost. But I don't think anyone from Poland was thinking that they were going to make the semifinals. I just... You know, getting out of the group stage, I think, was probably the expectation for this team. And they accomplished that. So I don't think Poland should feel upset. I think they should feel, you know, pretty good about how their team performed. The only sad part is just that this seems to be a little bit of an aging team. And Lewandowski specifically, you know, how good is he actually going to be for the next qualifying cycle? And the answer is, well, we're not quite sure. He's still one of the best strikers in the world right now. But will that be the case in two or three years? And the answer to that, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. So for Poland right now, you know, I think they did about as well as they probably could have. But there's a ceiling on this team. And the ceiling quite clearly shows us they're not as good as the big countries. And France are one of these big countries. For France, the sky's the limit for them. They could absolutely repeat. And... If you're asking me who's been the most impressive team in this tournament so far, I think there's a good case to be made for France. So, congratulations to France. They're through to the quarterfinals. And for Poland, you know, I think you can leave with your head held high. That's for sure. All right, on to the next game, England and Senegal. So, this game was a little disappointing for me. And I will outright say this, I was cheering for Senegal. I thought England would win, but I really wanted Senegal to win because I thought it would have been just a better story. But credit to England. England played really well. This was their most complete game of the tournament by far. England really just played well from start to finish. There was one moment early in the game where Senegal got a good chance, but Pickford made a good save. And you know what? You need your goalkeeper to make saves like that. He made the big save. Obviously, just like I said with the American game, if the early goal goes in, you never know. You're on the front foot, then it's a completely different game. The goal didn't go in. It was a great save by Pickford. And from there, England took over. Henderson scored the first goal. A little bit of a surprising goal score, but, you know, he was in the right position. And they had a very dynamic counterattack that they produced. And then Harry Kane got the second goal for them. And Saka got the third goal for them. England was just super deadly on the counterattack. Senegal really had a tough time dealing with them when they were running with numbers. And it's just the defending for Senegal, they just seemed to be a little disorganized. And this was something we saw in the group stages as well. Senegal didn't keep a single clean sheet in the group stages, and they gave up three to England. And so it's tough, but England just, they were the better team, and they played really well. They were dynamic, they were quick, they were decisive. And they were clinical, and they finished their chances. 3-0, the final score. England fully deserved it. And now, obviously, their biggest test is upcoming. But for England so far, outside of the USA game, you have to say they've been really good in this tournament. And their team has a lot of pedigree in it. They made the semifinals at the World Cup in 2018. They also made the final at the Euros. They lost to Italy on penalty kicks. This England team is not to be taken lightly. And despite the trauma that sort of exists with them since the 1966 tournament, I mean, this England team, like, if you ignore the, like, the losses in horrible ways that they seem to find a way to do, 
like talent for talent, they're good. And England can absolutely win this thing. France will be their biggest test because it'll be England-France in the quarterfinals. That game should be great. I can't wait to watch that game. It's going to be awesome. But again, like, for England, the biggest thing is just they need to find a way to play like they did against Senegal. They need to find a way to be really clinical on their counters. And if they're, if they're able to play like this, I think they can absolutely beat France. They were really good in this game. Senegal had a couple chances, but nothing too, too crazy as far as the English defending is concerned. Although Harry Maguire, his worst game of the tournament by far, he gave away a lot of weird passes. But anyway, for Senegal, unfortunately, you know, when you lose your best player before the tournament, it's going to be really hard. But they got out of the group stage. They, I think, did themselves very proud. And it's a shame because if Mane was healthy, maybe things would be different. But... Their defending was not good in this tournament, and it needed to be better if they were actually going to make a deep run. For Senegal, though, they're African champions. They got out of the group stage. You know, they gave the Netherlands all they had in the opening game for them. And I think they should feel pretty good about this team. This is a team that I think will still be competitive four years from now in the next World Cup. We'll see how things go for them in African qualifying, especially now that there's more spots available. And we'll see if they can defend their Africa Cup of Nations title. But for me, I think Senegal can, is a team that can leave with their head held high. Obviously not the performance they were hoping for in this round of 16 game. But overall, I think they should feel all right with how they played in this tournament. For England, congratulations. They're on to the quarterfinals. And now they get to play France. So if you want to listen for my preview, make sure you be on the lookout for the next couple days. I will be posting my quarterfinal preview, England versus France will be in the mix in that episode all right on to the monday games on monday i'm going to start with the japan croatia game now this was heartbreaking for me it was so sad i really 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 wanted japan to win unfortunately croatia's really good at penalty kicks croatia won this game on penalty kicks it was 1-1 after regulation and then Croatia won in penalties against Japan to put themselves into the quarterfinals. So the 2018 finalists are in the final eight now. And Japan, their wait for a quarterfinal appearance at the World Cup will continue. And I really thought this could have been the year for them. It's such a shame. They actually got the opening goal in this game. It was a it was some great attacking play. Japan were kind of dominating this little stretch of the first half. And Cross came in after the corner got played short. And then Yoshida got a foot on it. Maeda buried it. Japan lead, 1-0 at halftime. And they're, you know, already starting to think, I think, about the quarterfinal. But, of course, if there's any team that is so resilient that they're able to come back, it's Croatia. We saw this in 2018. Croatia, by far the most res- one of the most resilient teams I've ever seen at the World Cup. They gave up the first goal in, like, every game in 2018. And it didn't matter because they kept scoring and coming back in the game and winning it. Same thing here. Ivan Perisic scored a header on a terrific cross from Dejan Lovren. Lovren's their center back, so, you know, not exactly the player you expect to be crossing the ball in, but he put in a great cross, and Perisic headed it in. And so Croatia level 1-1. And then the game, you know, no one scored again, so here we go. Penalty shootout, the first one of the 2022 World Cup. And so in the penalty shootout, we had Japan went first. And it was Minamino who shot it 
unfortunately very poorly it was saved but here's the thing and I talked about this with penalty kicks so when you're taking a penalty kick there's a few things you want to do to try and score so number one is you can try and hit it in the corner so either the corner of the net or the side netting preferably if you do that you will probably score unless the goalkeeper makes an insane save if you hit the side netting you're definitely scoring but so that's one of the ways you can take a penalty kick and have a lot of success Another way you can do it is by roofing it in the net, because if you're able to get it in the top part of the net, which is really difficult to do consistently, but if you're able to do it, there's some guys who can, it's pretty unstoppable for goalkeepers, because goalkeepers have to not only guess what side you're kicking, but they also have to try and guess the height, and if you roof it in the net in the top part of the goal with some power, goalkeepers can't save that. They really can't. Even if they guess correctly, they're still not going to save it if you hit it properly. So. So there's that one. And then the other option is just going down the middle. Going down the middle kind of always makes sense in a professional sense. At youth level, this is something that you don't want to do because the keepers tend to just stay in the middle. But at the professional level, the keepers dive more often than not. Like they'll pick a side, like the keeper will either dive left or dive right. And then from there, you know, you can just kick it down the middle and you score quite often. So unfortunately for Japan, none of these penalty techniques or none of these penalty areas where you should kick the ball applied to them because they pretty much all kind of sucked. Minamino's penalty, just like their other ones, it was all in that perfect space because if you kick the ball and it goes kind of in the middle of the post, so if you if you draw a line, so the middle of the net, so you have the middle of the net and then you have the goal post. If you draw another line to split so if you split the goal basically in two, and then you try to split it into fours, so that space, that space right in the middle of the post and the middle of the net, hope that makes sense. That's the perfect spot for goalkeepers because it's the exact right position where they're usually going to be when they dive. And if you put it at the right height for them, it's very easy for them to make saves. And now with the new rules, it's a lot easier for them to make saves because they can just keep a foot on the line and they can move early. So. Minamino, poor penalty, saved. Croatia was up next. Vlasic scored. Nice shot in the corner. 1-0 Croatia. Second shot. Mitoma, another poor penalty. Another one saved by Levakovic. And then Croatia was up next. Brozovic scored right down the middle. Japan probably should have done that a couple times. And then third shooter for Japan. Asano scored. Keeper guessed wrong, but it wasn't a good penalty. It was in a bad spot. But fortunately for him, keeper guessed wrong. So he scored. So, 2-1. And the third Croatia shooter was Levaya. He hit the post. And now Levaya did something that really bothers me. So when you're taking a penalty shot, you kind of have a lot of options as a shooter. You can do a big run up and run and just blast it. You can do a hesitation where you like kind of stop your momentum a little bit. And then, you know, try to pick the corner, try and get the keeper to dive early. Or... You can do a short run-up and just try and pick accuracy. I hate short run-ups. Short run-ups, in my opinion, are really bad for penalty kicks. And I will go to my grave holding that opinion. That short run-ups suck. You should either do a long run-up or you should do a medium-sized run-up with, like, power hesitation. Short run-ups suck. And he had a short run-up, he hit the post. So, next one for Japan, Yoshida. Yoshida stopped again. About the same placement and he and because of the miss Croatia needed one goal to win Pasalic scored good shot low in the corner 
and it's over. And Croatia win and advance to the quarterfinals. They won two shootouts in 2018 to go all the way to the final. They won another shootout here. And for Japan, the shootout has been a hall of horrors for them because in the 2010 World Cup, they lost on penalty kicks to Paraguay. And then in 2018, they lost on a last-minute goal to Belgium. And now again, the penalty shootout has gotten the better of them. So if I was the Japanese men's national team, what I would do is go talk to the Japanese women's national team because they won a World Cup in penalty kicks against the United States. So maybe go get some pointers from the women's team because they clearly have a lot more success at doing penalty kicks than the men's team does because the men's team continues to be haunted by them. So congratulations to Croatia. They're through to the quarterfinals again. They have a chance to potentially win the whole thing. They have a really tough quarterfinal opponent coming up, but this Croatia team is really resilient and you can never, ever count them out of a game. They keep fighting and it doesn't matter if they concede first because they will quite often score second. And that's been something that's worked for them quite a lot throughout the last few tournaments. For Japan, it sucks because on one hand, you have to feel proud of the way they played. They played incredibly well in this tournament. They beat Spain, they beat Germany, and they went the distance with Croatia and lost in penalty kicks. Like, it's nothing to be ashamed of at all. I think Japan did themselves very well. What I, where I think the disappointment comes in is that this was probably, at least so far anyways, Japan's best chance at making the quarterfinals. They've never made the quarterfinals before in the men's tournament. And it's obviously, you know, it's got to be disappointing that they had a really, really good chance and it didn't happen for them again. And unfortunately, again, in heartbreaking fashion. So it sucks for Japan. I really wanted them to win. But, you know, this tournament, it's fine margins. And if, you're, if the fine margins aren't correct, you're not always going to be able to win. And Croatia tend to get the fine margins right. At least this version of their team has. And for Japan, you know, it's a learning curve. Most of this team is pretty young. They have a couple guys in defense and goalie that are a little bit older, but most of their midfielders, their forwards, they're all pretty young, and so most of them should be back for the next World Cup. What you can hope is they take good lessons from this because they played really well. And obviously, you know, a little bit disappointing. Keep your head held high, but... Next time around, I think the expectation has to be higher. For Japan, the expectation has to be quarterfinals at least. And if it, they don't make the quarterfinals next time around, I think it has to be looked at as a disappointment. So, on to the next game. We had Brazil versus South Korea. So, this game, unfortunately for South Korea, was over by halftime. Brazil led 4-0 after the first half. It was a demolition and not in a good way for the Asian side because Brazil, it almost felt like a training practice for them. Like it felt so easy for Brazil. The way they passed, the way they moved, the way they scored, it was just way too easy. And like some of that, you know, South Korea should have defended better, but some of that's also just Brazil were really good and they might be the best team in this tournament. They certainly looked that way against South Korea. The th Oh my God, the third goal. The third goal is just ridiculous. If you haven't seen it, Richarlison basically like juggles it to himself 
and then a beautiful little passing play give and go and then it just ends up in the back of the south korean net it's like what can you do what can you even do about that like that's just that's so good like you just have to admire that goal it's just such a great goal like there's really nothing south korea can do on that one the first goal vinicius finally got his first of the tournament and he also got a very nice assist as well in this game neymar scored from the penalty spot and then Paqueta had the fourth goal for Brazil. After that, it was done and dusted. Job done. Brazil through to the next round. South Korea did get a consolation goal in the second half. South Korea actually had a few chances. Allison made some really good saves for Brazil. And they got the goal from Pike. Very nice long-range goal for them. Uh, Song probably should have scored as well. But again, you know, when it's 4 nothing, it's really hard to come back from. So, But for South Korea, to, you know, the takeaway from this tournament is they did, you know, about, like, what you thought they could it was a overall i think successful tournament for south korea they got out of the group they beat portugal very dramatic fashion you know it sucks the brazil game went the way it did but i still think south korea should feel really proud of themselves and you know they got a really great moment in the group stage finale when they were able to advance ahead of uruguay and so now the hope is that you can build off it just you know obviously hoping song can remain at the high level he's been at for the last few years and then for brazil congratulations to them they're through to the quarterfinals their toughest opponent will be coming up and you could argue brazil haven't had the most difficult slate of opponents but they've been really good in playing the opposition they have so we'll see but brazil will get to play croatia in the quarterfinals so these two teams it should be very interesting croatia haven't always played super impressively but again they're a really resilient team and brazil have looked really good but of course you know the further you get into these things the higher the pressure is the more the moment starts to get bigger and the question becomes who can step up in the moment for brazil right now it looks like richarlison's a hundred percent in the moment he is so good for them right now it's crazy that he doesn't play regularly for spurs but i guess spurs have harry kane so but Richarlison's been great for this Brazilian team. They're through to the next round. For South Korea, head held high. I think they did themselves proud in the tournament. Not a great game to end on, though, unfortunately for them. So, on to the Tuesday games. Starting with Morocco and Spain. So, with Japan and South Korea unfortunately being eliminated, Morocco was the only non-European or South America team left in the tournament. And so... You know, lot, I guess not a lot of pressure, but like, you know, some pressure in that sense because Morocco knew that they were on the verge of making history. But they had to beat Spain first. So, this game, not a lot of chances either way. Both teams, it felt like, came out very conservatively as far as like not wanting to take too many risks. And that sort of played out in the game. Spain, I guess, were the better team in extra time and like probably should have, you know, gotten a goal there, but they didn't. And so, the score finished 0-0 after full time. Morocco had a great chance in extra time. That was denied by Simon. Chadira got in behind, unfortunately didn't get a great shot off. And for Spain, Sarabia, who came off the bench, he ended up hitting the goalpost with the last kick of the game before penalty kicks. So, let's go to the shootout. So in the shootout, Morocco went first. So Morocco's first shooter was Sabiri. He scored. Keeper guessed the wrong way. Not a great penalty. He was in a bad spot, but keeper guessed wrong. He scored. 1-0 Morocco. Spain's first shooter, Sarabia. And now I want to talk about this for a second. 
And now this is something that's really difficult if you're a coach, because on one hand, if Sarabia is one of your best penalty takers, you want him to be in the shootout. But on the other hand, he just missed a golden opportunity to win the game in regular time. And we see this sometimes because if you're a player, it's really hard not to think about that, right? Where you think about, oh man, I just had the chance to put my country through to the next round and it hit the post and I missed and I let them down. And now you have to step up and take the first kick. That's a lot of pressure. And that's, you know, some players can handle that. Some players can't. And for Sarabia, unfortunately for Spain, he couldn't. Sarabia missed. He hit the post. So that goalpost is going to haunt him in his dreams, and it sucks. But if you're a coach, the dilemma becomes, obviously, you brought him on to take penalties. He came on late as a substitute in this game. So clearly, you brought him on because you thought he was one of your best penalty takers. But do you let him take the penalty after that missed chance? Now, some coach, this is where it's controversial. Some coaches would say yes. Some coaches would say, he's one of our best penalty takers. You know, I'm going to trust him to hit his penalty. And some coaches would be like, you know, I don't want to put that moment on him. It's just like, okay, that was, you know, he hit the post. That was a big moment. It didn't go in. I don't want him in his own head about it. I'm going to put someone else in to take the penalty kick because I don't want him second-guessing himself when he takes this. In my opinion, I would side more with the second option, personally. But it's tough. It's really tough because when you know who the player is, you want to trust them sometimes, right? Like, these these are human beings. These are not robots. These are human beings. And when you're a coach, you're making a decision based on the human being that you know, right? Luis Enrique knows Sarabia, and he knows, you know, what kind of person he is. He knows what kind of player he is, and he made a decision. And unfortunately for Spain, it was probably the wrong decision, but I don't necessarily blame him for making that. It's just, it's a really difficult one. It's really tough. And I don't know if there's a truly right answer. Again, I just expressed which one I side with more, but I'm sympathetic to the other opinion in this argument because I think it is, there's a valid case to be made in in some circumstances, right? So, Sarabia hit the post, so it's one nothing. So, back to Croatia. Second shot for them, oh sorry, back to Morocco, my apologies. So, Morocco's second shot was Ziyech. Ziyech scored right down the middle. Again, right down the middle in the professional level. Always a good idea for penalty kicks because keepers tend to dive either left or right. So, 2-0, Morocco. Spain's second shooter, Carlos Soler. Miss. It was a it was stopped by the goalkeeper, but a terrible penalty. Bad spot. So, and it was also a short run-up, which, again, I don't need to go off about how much I hate short run-ups again because, in my opinion, they're stupid. You shouldn't do a short run-up. You should do a medium run-up or a long run-up. And don't do a short run-up because, in my opinion, they're way easier. It just feels like people miss more. It feels like players miss more when they do short run-ups than they do other ones. So, anyway, enough of that. All right. Third shot for Morocco. Benoun. Miss. It was a poor penalty. It was saved by Simon. So, 2-1. Back to Spain. Busquets. Oh, sorry. 2-0. My apologies. Busquets. He missed. Poor penalty. Again. Little surprise Busquets got the call on the penalty kick. It's just he's not someone I usually see take penalty kicks, but Busquets got it. He was saved. And now it comes down to this. So, 
The score is 2-0 Morocco. Spain have had three shots, all saved. Morocco have had three, two went in, one did not. And so now the fourth kick is huge because it's a chance to win. And so it's Hakimi stepping up for Morocco. Hakimi has kind of a neat backstory because he was actually born in Madrid, in Spain. He was born in Madrid to Moroccan parents. And when it came time to decide which national team he wanted to represent, he chose Morocco. So, you can imagine being in his shoes. This, you know, this player born in Madrid, born in Spain, decided to represent Morocco, is now playing with Morocco as a chance to eliminate Spain and make history for his country. It is literally, and I'm not joking here, literally the biggest kick of the ball in Moroccan football history. They've never made the quarterfinals before. And he has a chance to eliminate his country of birth. I mean, you can't write that any better. You really can't. And so Hakimi steps up and he scores a chip goal. He scores a paneka. Paneka is the word for the chip goal on the penalty kick to win it for Morocco, the biggest kick of the ball in their history, and he sends them through to the quarterfinals for the first time ever. And a huge, huge moment for Morocco. And their fans just absolutely going crazy, the team going crazy. Hakimi even did the waddle after he scored the goal, which is kind of funny. A great celebration, by the way. And Morocco through, and they win over Spain. A huge, huge, huge game for them. They become only the fourth African team to ever make the quarterfinals at the World Cup, which is a big deal because the only other teams that have done it, Cameroon did it in 1990 with Roger Milla. Senegal did it in 2002 with that, you know, really great underdog story. And then Ghana did it in 2010 with their very good team. And so now Morocco joined the list. But they have a chance to be in a list of their own. No African team has ever made the semifinals at a World Cup. Morocco have a, in my opinion anyways, a very good chance of becoming the first team from Africa to ever make the semifinals. And that would be just an unbelievable accomplishment. They're the only team left, not from Europe or South America. And they have a chance to join a very exclusive list because the only two countries that have ever made the semifinals at the men's tournament who were not European or South American are as follows. The United States in the very first World Cup in 1930 and South Korea in 2002 when they hosted. Those are the only two countries that have ever made the semifinals who were non-European or South American. Morocco, this team is good and they defend really well. The only goal they've conceded in this whole tournament was an own goal against Canada. By the way, shout out Canada. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, there's every reason to believe if you're a Moroccan fan, there is every reason to believe. And if you're looking for an underdog to support, Morocco's the team to support. They're the underdogs, but they have a chance at history. And history in the best possible way. So, congratulations to Morocco. They're through to the quarterfinals. Huge deal for them. And I have nothing but positive things to say about Morocco. So, Spain. On to Spain. So has to be looked at as a failure for Spain. has to be looked at as a disappointment for them because Spain, yet again, basically the same thing in 2018. They get out of the group, and then they lose in the round of 16 
in penalty kicks because they lost to Russia in 2018 on penalties, and now they lost on penalties to Morocco. According to Luis Enrique, the Spanish coach, he said that they actually practiced like a thousand penalties or something like that in the lead up to the tournament. And if that's true, I mean, maybe pick better shooters? Question mark, question mark? I don't know. Like, their penalties weren't good. All three of them weren't good. And now, I already explained the Sarabia situation, but like, yeah, not, not very good from the spot for Spain. And for Spain, there really just wasn't enough intent in this game. They had some late and extra time, but like just not enough chances for Spain. They really didn't... In the way that they put their foot on the throat of Costa Rica in the opening game, they just didn't do that in the other games. Nowhere near enough times. There were moments where they would dominate, but it was quite often just empty possession, where they would hold the ball just for holding the ball. And there wasn't any real creativity behind it. They needed more intent. They needed more drive. They needed more attacking play to generate good chances. There just wasn't enough of that in this game. So for Spain, obviously a big disappointment. They're going home again too early. And this is a team that made the semifinals at the Euros. Like, they should feel like they should go further. But the good news for Spain, Pedri and Gabi are really good. And they're cornerstones in the midfield. And they also have some other young players that you have to be excited about. The bad news for Spain, whatever was left of the, you know, successful teams in the earlier part of the last decade, I think is pretty much gone now. Sergio Busquets has to, like, I don't see any way he plays in the next tournament. And he was kind of one of the holdovers from the team. So for Spain, huge disappointment and they'll have to try and rebound for the upcoming Euros, and assuming they get there, of course, which I would assume, so the next World Cup. So on to the final game from Tuesday. We have Portugal and Switzerland. This game was a blowout in every sense of the word. First, with the big story, Portugal decided to bench Cristiano Ronaldo in this game. If you're wondering why Cristiano Ronaldo got benched, it has to do supposedly with disciplinary issues because Ronaldo, I guess, kind of threw a fit a little bit when he got subbed against South Korea in the last game, and the coach didn't like that too much, and so Cristiano Ronaldo got benched. It was very surprising to me, too, and I got to give credit to Fernando Santos because Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest Portuguese player of all time, and... The bravery you need to have to bench a player like that is a lot because you're going to get eaten alive if you lose. Fortunately for Portugal, they won in very, very stylistic fashion. They won 6-1 over Switzerland and completely obliterated them in this game. It was just an absolute massacre of a performance. Portugal... It felt like every attacking chance they got, they were going to score on. Like, they were so good in going forward. Switzerland had no answers for them defensively. It was a complete fire drill for them. And for the Swiss, they kind of created one offensive chance that was any good. And they scored on it for McKenzie, but it was way too late. Portugal got things going. Gonzalo Ramos, he was the beneficiary of Ronaldo being left on the bench. And my goodness... You could not have picked a better debut for Gonzalo Ramos. Gonzalo Ramos scored a hat-trick in this game. The first goal was an unbelievable shot. It was a He took the ball under control, 
and just smashed it in the top. Like, it's the exact precise top corner right over Sommer. And it's like, wow, this might get ugly for Switzerland real quick. So after Gonzalo Ramos scored, we had Pepe scoring a header. Ramos got two more, like I mentioned. The second one was kind of a tap in. The third goal was a chipped goal. And then uh, Guerrero scored a very nice goal. It was a great attacking play from Portugal. And then Leao at the very end kind of got one as well. So, yeah, man, Portugal. I, gu- I got to admit, that was very, very impressive. And they did it without Cristiano Ronaldo. So, of course, this begs the question, should they keep him on the bench? And if you're asking me, yes. Yes, they should. And the reason they should is because look at what they did to Switzerland. They killed them. It was beautiful, dynamic, crisp, just everything you wanted in a Portugal performance came out in this game. All of their players played at their best. And, you know, maybe that's because Ronaldo was on the bench. Maybe it's because they felt more empowered. I'm not sure. It's tough to tell with situations like this, but Portugal were brilliant in this game. They were absolutely brilliant. They were fantastic. They were every great adjective you could think of because 6-1 against a team like Switzerland. Switzerland is not a joke. Switzerland is a real team. This team beat France at the Euros. They are not a joke. They are a real team. Unfortunately for them, it was everything gone wrong for the everything went wrong for the Swiss in this game. But Portugal just looked so dominant. And so now they go into a quarterfinal game with Morocco. Morocco haven't conceded a regular goal in this tournament. The only goal they conceded was an own goal. So styles make fights, right? So probably a lot of Portugal possession, but we'll have to wait and see on that one. Again, I'll have my full preview on the Morocco-Portugal game in my quarterfinal episode. Be on the lookout for that one. It should be a good one. I can't... Oh, man, that's that's so exciting. The winner of the Portugal and Morocco game would play the winner of the England-France uh, game, in case you're wondering what side of the bracket that's on. The Argentina and Brazil games are on the other side of the bracket. So, But for Portugal, again, brilliant, brilliant performance. And Santos deserves credit for making the bold decision to leave Ronaldo on the bench. And it clearly paid off. And so now the question becomes, is Ronaldo going to be okay with this? And is he going to be a good teammate? And, you know, accept his role coming off the bench? Or is he going to throw another hissy fit and go do another interview with Piers Morgan? If you're, if you're wondering what I'm referring to, he's had a rough time with Manchester United, and he went on Piers... He basically did a Piers Morgan interview to complain about Manchester United. So I don't know if Ronaldo would do that about his own country, about Santos, the guy he won the Euros with, but you never know. Ronaldo, he's a very arrogant player, and I mean that in in, in no way do I mean to be disrespectful. It's just... Ronaldo is a player that's very much about himself. And, you know, when the team is working around Ronaldo, that's when he's at his best. And fortunately, he's one of the 10 best players of all time. And so that tends to lead to a lot of success when your team is built around Ronaldo rather than Ronaldo trying to fit in with the team. The problem for Portugal right now is that the argument around building the team around Ronaldo isn't as great anymore. The argument for Ronaldo being on the team is that he's really good, but he probably needs to fit in into the team rather than being built around it, if that makes sense, because the best Portuguese players are probably Bruno Fernandes and Ruben Dias right now. So we'll see. 
this will be interesting to monitor over the next few days. But full credit to Portugal. For right now, they can celebrate. They're through to the quarterfinals for the first time since 2006. And then Switzerland. All right. I'm not going to be too long on this, but let's just say everything went wrong. It was a disaster. It was horrible. They couldn't defend. They couldn't attack. They couldn't do anything. They got outplayed, and they really sucked. And they lost. So badly they lost 6-1 when you lose 6-1 you know nothing went right for you nothing went right when you lose 6-1 so for Switzerland they have to feel upset at themselves they have to feel disappointed because for all the good things they did in the group stages and I think they have a lot to be proud of for what they did in the group stage this game was a complete disaster absolute disaster and you know maybe you don't beat Portugal right Portugal's a good team it's hard to beat Portugal but to lose the way you did to Portugal, to not even put up a fight against Portugal, that has to be looked at as a disappointment. And there will be a lot of questions asked about the Swiss team. The answer's a lot more difficult to answer, in my opinion. So that will be a tough one, but one to keep an eye on for the upcoming qualifying cycle, for sure. So that's it. That's all I got for the round of 16 recap. We had some great goals we had a brilliant historical moment and we had a couple penalty shootouts i can't wait to see what the quarterfinals bring like i said quarterfinal episode wednesday or thursday i'm not quite sure when i'll have time to record yet but when i do i will upload that so be on the lookout for the quarterfinal preview we're down to the final eight teams we have netherlands we have argentina we have brazil croatia france england morocco and Portugal. This is um, this is where the pressure starts to build, and this is where players can really, really cement themselves as heroes for their countries. Can't wait. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The World Game, a World Cup podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I will be doing reaction episodes throughout the tournament. The music is from Pixabay. The whole thing gets going on November 20th, so make sure you subscribe and don't miss a moment of the 2022 World Cup.